Hey guys, thanks for joining us for another episode of Skids Up RC Heli Podcast. Uh, tonight we have a bit of a special episode. Um, we usually try to do these every two weeks or so, but we decided to throw another one together on short notice uh, because there's a time-sensitive topic that we wanted to bring uh, more awareness to. And I say more because I'm sure at this point you've all heard about the proposed FAA ruling um, regarding the remote ID. Um, there's been endless forum discussions around this topic as well as some really excellent analysis and, analysis and breakdowns by our fellow heli podcasters. But we wanted to do our bit to get the word out as well and about what this decision could mean for the future of our hobby. So tonight, joining us, we have a special guest that, with a unique perspective on the matter. Um, Wes Menair, was that, am I pronouncing that correct, Wes? Yep, Wes Menair. Wes Menair, right. he's a board member for Urcha. It's also a licensed, uh, is it a commercial pilot or um, private pilot? Uh, yeah, commercial, or uh, I guess my official grade is ATP, but... ATP? Yeah, that's nice. That's fine, but. Air transport pilot. So tonight, we're going to pick his brain a bit and see what uh, his thoughts are on this are on the subject. And um, But before we get started, um, Wes, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Uh, we usually start these off with kind of like a backstory of how'd you get into the hobby kind of thing. Um, you know, what kind of equipment do you fly? What are some of your favorite things um, that you've experienced in the hobby? And then more specifically... Uh, how you got involved with Urcha and what you do with that organization. Cool. Yeah. So uh, I started flying uh, RC when I was, I don't know, maybe six or so with my dad. Uh, we started out with airplanes and everything like that. Uh, I grew up out in Southern California and uh, did a lot of, uh, did a lot of RC out there. Um, you know, continued to fly through uh, high school and, uh, and everything like that. And, you know, I kind of, uh, give RC the credit of uh, maybe kind of keeping me on the, the right track in life. Um, I had a lot of uh, exposure to a lot of negative things in my life when I was young. I just felt like, well, if I go and get involved in this or I go do this, this could have repercussions for, you know, my uh, full scale potential that I want to do and then as well for my hobby. So I'm going to just go the other direction. So it was a great deterrent for me when I was really young to try to stay on the right path. And so, uh, yeah, so I just uh, just kept going through the natural progression of airplanes, got a little bit bored with that in uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, 97 or so. Uh, Kyosho came out with the Nexus 30. That was my first helicopter. And so um, under the tutelage of some really great guys, I was able to go and get my, uh, my Nexus flying. I had a guy, Russ Trivia, out in uh, California that helped me along with Todd Bennett. Um, I grew up flying at the same field that he flew at. And so uh, it was just a, a nice coincidence to have somebody out there that was uh, that uh, far along in the hobby to be able to help. And uh, yeah, so did that. Went to flight school in Arizona. And then Todd suggested I go hang out with his other friend, Jason, which is uh, Jason Krause, who lived in Phoenix. And so I spent a couple of years hanging out with Jason out there in uh, Arizona. And uh, this was kind of in the uh, the days of the Synergy N9, I guess it was, and then uh, the, towards the design of the T-Rex and everything like that. So, uh, yeah, um, there were all those times. I, I finished all my ratings up, went back to California, and uh, uh, flight instructed, taught people to fly for a couple of years uh, as a professional pilot. And then I uh, kind of worked through uh, a few more jobs in, in my career, flying for a regional airline and a cargo company. And then, uh, right now, I'm a, uh, I, I'm just leaving uh, being a sim instructor for FedEx to go and start a new position 
uh, flying a private jet for a uh, gentleman out of Little Rock. So uh, that's going to be my new uh, my new full time job, and uh, I'm excited to start doing that. So uh, yeah, I've got a buddy of mine that does that. He uh, flies um, a, a Learjet for a very wealthy businessman. And yeah. he pretty much has a run of the plane. <laughs> he just needs to yep. be on call all the time. But other than that, he can pretty much take it wherever yeah. he wants. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, I, my, my, mine's a little unique. Um, there's not really much on call. The schedule's pretty genuinely. So uh, hopefully it'll be uh, a little less work than what I was doing before. So uh, I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, I'm uh, married with a little girl that's five. And so uh, between uh, keeping up with the hobby and all my urchin responsibilities and uh, working that's uh, keeps me pretty busy. Well, we'll have to circle back to the, um, to the kids part because we've had a couple episodes talking about how to get the younger generation in the hobby um, with, you know, limited success on, on some people's parts, myself mainly, but uh, very cool, man. Um, so how would, how would you say that um, I guess model aviation has uh shaped your look on, I guess, your career? I mean, did you choose a full-size aviation or full-scale aviation as a, as a result of the things you used to do as a kid? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I would say that uh, I wanted to be a full-scale pilot when I was a kid. I, you know, I was uh, born in 84 and just kind of, uh, uh, you know, so in about 1990, I started watching Top Gun and I, I, I feel like I watch it once a week to this day, but not really. And so, uh, you know, I was just enthralled with the movie, you know, uh, and now I'm excited for uh, Top Gun Maverick to come out. But anyway, um, I saw the previews for that. I'm, I'm, I'm just not convinced I can get behind a 65 year old fighter pilot. In I know, right? He doesn't look like he's 65. <laughs> but, yeah. I know, right? When did you get your, uh, when did you get your license? Yeah. So I got my uh, first pilot certificate when I was a sophomore in high school. So uh, I started flying when I was real young and then um, just uh, finished high school, went straight into flying and then uh, finished a bachelor's degree online through Utah Valley University with a professional pilot emphasis. And so uh, I did that. And uh, yeah, uh, for, for what I fly right now, I'm a, a team pilot for a minicopter with the Diablo through uh, Peak Aircraft. And so I've got a few of those. I've got a Diablo Speed, a Black Edition, and a Nitro. And then I also fly uh, the Quest uh, line of helicopters, which is uh, an F3C line of helicopter for uh, precision uh, F3C fly. All right. How long have you been um, flying uh, competitively? Uh, you know, competitively, only about three and a half to four years with helicopters. Uh, I flew for probably uh, I don't know, maybe six years, I flew uh, uh, competitive aerobatics in a full-scale pits biplane. And so um, I flew, uh, I was not the most competitive person out there. I wasn't winning everything, but uh, I had my own, I've had uh, two uh, aerobatic airplanes that I've owned. And, uh, I flew competition in those. And then, um, you know, I kind of got out of that with my family and everything kind of growing. And so I decided to go do uh, something a little, uh, a little different, and uh, that's where I decided to uh, get further into the helicopter hobby. I was, I was always, I've always been active in it, but I've not been so active as, uh, as I definitely am now. So, uh, but yeah, I also fly for Contronic and Futaba USA. Nice. Hey, uh, Wes, I have a question. Yeah. Um, I know that that we're all uh, helis here, and personally, you sure. know, that's all I've done, but um. 
But it was interesting that you mentioned Top Gun. So are you a Top Gun or an aviator kind of guy? A Top Gun or an aviator? I guess you've lost. Oh, movie-wise, you're saying the movie, The Aviator? Yes, yes, <sighs> yes. Yeah, but, but kind of like, you know, that fast-paced, you know, uh, low-deck inverted stuff or more like precise, you know, modeling, you know, uh, very nice flying stuff, you know, kind of like that comparison. That's a good question. I, I've never really, uh, I've never really given that consideration, but I would say I'm probably more of a Top Gun guy. Uh, to me, that's more the uh, high speed, um, competitive nature, and I'm definitely kind of a competitive person. And so uh, my kind of personal competitive outlet is flying remote control helicopters. And so um, I, I enjoy competing in things and uh, it's a, uh, it's a great way to uh, push yourself to get better and to uh, to just make things that much uh, that much more fun for me anyways <laughs> yeah I just just popped up you know I, I'm also looking forward from Top Gun you know I'm also one of those guys of that generation always always dreamt about that and I always thought you know that I would end up flying like an you know like an EDF F14 or something but uh, you know fell in love with helicopters more so you're saying you you were up think you grew up thinking you were going to fly an actual F14 like EDF once again, that'll, that'll work too. <laughs> um, kind of, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you, you have to consider that, you know, in Mexico, I think that the F-4 is the, the best airplane, you know, fighter jet that we have. And there's probably just like four of them. Oh, man. <laughs> so so, uh, so it, it was hard to get into the Air Force and actually fly one. You would have to be like, you know, the, uh, uh, I, I don't know, like the superstar, like the Kobe Bryant or like the, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, Ronaldo or something like that to be able to, you know, fly one of those, you have to be really special. Yeah, you know, that was kind of why I didn't maybe go a military route with my career was um, I graduated from high school in 03. And so, uh, you know, 9-11 had kind of just happened. The airlines were in a huge slump. And so when the airlines are in a slump, the military is usually pretty fat with pilots uh, and they are not, you have to be super competitive to get into flying during those types of years. And so, um, you know, if you didn't have a 4.0 GPA and weren't uh, the, you know, halfway through college, you know, when you were graduating from high school, you just probably weren't gonna go a, a fighter pilot direction. So that's kind of what led me in a, in a different direction also, so. Yeah, actually, um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show before, but um, I got my certificate right out of high school as well. Um, I started flying with my dad, um, who was a flight surgeon in the Air Force, or retired now. But uh, <clears throat> one of the cool things about being a flight surgeon is that you get to fly with whatever your unit happens to fly. And a couple times his units flew fighter jets. The other times they flew cargo planes, so it wasn't as exciting. Um, but back during the Gulf War, he, uh, he got to fly a side seat in an F-111 for a couple years. Um, and they, they put his name on the plane and everything, which is kind of cool for a doctor. That usually doesn't happen. Um, but he and I got our licenses together, uh, when I was in high school, I we were probably the same age. I graduated in 03 as well and, uh, went, you know, I was going to go the whole route and wanted to do, um, ATP and took the class one, uh, medical and found out that I was colorblind severely. <laughs> oh man. So I passed the phalant test, which is funny because it's the one the Navy uses. So yeah. I could have gone to the Navy, um, cause they just hang these little lights in front of you and see if you can tell the difference in the color. But when it came to the Ishihara and the computer tests, I failed miserably. Oh wow. Okay. Is that the ink blots on the, in the book? Yeah. It's the little circles with the dots and, um, yeah, they're really sneaky too. Cause they actually have patterns that are specifically designed for certain types of colorblindness. 
So like that's if you see a 23, yeah. everyone else should see a nine or something like that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, this yeah. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> there's no guessing it. Right. No, yeah. not at all. And then um, there's, there's, there's usually one that's nothing. There's right. no number, right. you know? Yeah. And they always have the one where, you know, if you can't see the number, you're actually blind. Like you're not colorblind. You're just blind. <laughs> you're just blind. Yeah. There you go. Anyway. Um, well, cool, man. Uh, I, you know, I am curious, um, as you kind of got more into the, the heli world, um, how did you get affiliated with Urcha? Uh, that's an excellent question. So I would say um, I, I just kind of started helping out and volunteering at the event. And uh, uh, the first year that I really kind of got serious about it, um, I can't remember what year it was. I'm sorry, guys, maybe 16 or 17. Um, is when I really kind of started getting serious about helping. It must have been 16. And so, um, you know, I just kind of showed up and said, you know, hey, you guys need some help or whatever. And uh, I, I started running a lot of the competitions, Battle of the Brands and stuff like that for him. Uh, just taking a, uh, a, I don't know, level-headed approach to uh, how to do things. And uh, it seemed to go well. And then I just kept on and kept on working and um, it just kind of ended up getting uh, uh, to this point. So, so if you, if you hang around Urcha long enough, they'll ask you to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, we, we kind of have been through some funny years of, uh, of how people have joined on to the, um, uh, joined on to the Urcha board. And so uh, we are, right now doing what we should be doing which is going and having an election so get out there and vote uh, i believe it closes on the 25th of, uh, of february uh, is when our uh, um, election ends and so uh, we have three people who are I'll give you a little plug here <laughs> we have three people that are running in our uh, election uh, there's robert monty uh, dan brickman and jeff young and so um, all three of those guys are uh, eagerly uh you know excited to see what the results are and who's gonna get the uh the one position that we have uh vacant for a uh urge a board member so get out there and vote and vote for monty he's a good one <laughs> uh, you don't you, you, can, you have to be diplomatic i don't you know so yeah monty's uh, a great dude he is he he works really hard at the uh the event uh i love monty but uh uh, I've worked a lot with Dan. He works hard at the event, and so does Jeff. And so all three of those guys um, bring a lot to the table. So we'd be glad to have any of the three of them. So, yeah, how many um, how many board members are there? Uh, so we have five positions basically, and so uh, this is going to be uh, um, our fifth board member. So, okay, and. Yeah. Uh, here comes a total noob question, and I also I always like to take the position of being the total noob here. What exactly does Urcha do? That's an excellent question. So we are the SIG to the AMA, so special interest group. Okay, so um, AMA has is this you know body basically, and so um, as a special interest group, we're the ones that are uh, maybe kind of helicopter people that are there to try and help uh, work with AMA and advocates. We're advocates for helicopters. Uh, we're advocates for a lot of things. And so um, that's one direction that we go. We also put on the jamboree, which is what everybody knows us for. And so- Right, um, that's, that's really the, the only thing that I'm familiar <laughs> with about our church. Yeah, so 
uh, Urcha puts on the Urcha Jamboree in August. And so uh, that's a, a the large event in Muncie, Indiana. And so uh, it's a great time. Everybody should come, you know, um, you can, you know, get online and, and look at videos from yesteryear's searches where people are just, you know, hey, you just have to come. You just don't understand, you know, uh, what this is going to be like, what it's going to look like. And so um, we've really tried to go and make it uh, more, maybe more user friendly for everybody. And, and we're trying to go and take feedback from people on what we can go and do to make the event uh, uh, better for them. So awesome. Yeah, this will be my this will be my first year. I'm I've co-opted a couple of friends of mine who have absolutely zero interest in helicopters to come with me. And so we we all are just volunteers that uh, that are the board members, right? None of us get paid. None of us, you know, do this as a full time job or anything like that. So um, we're all just you know here to do this. And so um, uh, yeah, uh, every now and then we get people get a little frustrated with us about uh, you need to be doing this. I'm only one person. There's only four of us. Would you like to take this on, you know, and, and do this for us? And usually the answer is no. <laughs> so, side note, that's how me and Wes kind of first spoke on, on Messenger. I, um, one night I had this entire week that I was having issues because all, all the, <clears throat> excuse me, all the vendors were going to Urcha. And they wouldn't ship stuff out to me as a, as a retailer. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And uh, Urcha caught the, the bad side of that conversation. But <laughs> since then, since then, Wes, I've, been, I've, I've had yeah. you guys' back. Absolutely. And yeah. we appreciate that. Huh? Yeah. And then, yeah. because I didn't know the whole story, that was the whole thing. There was a lot of misconception. And I, I, and I kind of want you to kind of go through some other things. So I think people think that, you know, every time there's a new comment about Urcha, you know, you, you're pretty about, yeah. about reaching out to me. He's like, hey, Frank, um, watch this. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to get good. Or this is going to be bad, <laughs> one of the two. And, yeah. and I'm always kind of on the lookout because I know, I know the inner work is on the background because I know how much things, yeah. how, how things really happen. Right. So I think a lot of people don't, don't understand that. So they're really quick to make judgment and comment on it and all, you know, go on their tirade because or get on their soapbox. Yeah. So, can you, and I know you talked about this before in another podcast. Can you go on a quick little um, sure. so, description um, on what it takes to, to run the, the Jamboree? Yeah, so, uh, well, I'll talk about the organization first. So, um, you know, we don't get any kind of insider information, uh, really, that, that, no one, that everyone else doesn't have access to from AMA or anything like that. So everything that I know is stuff that you guys already know. I just spend a lot of time doing research. Um, like I had told you guys before, you know, I try and listen to all the podcasts to hear what everybody has going on, what everybody thinks, and, and just the directions, trying to be a part of social media and hear what people think. But um, at the same time, there's, it's really easy to go and put on your tinfoil hat and say, you know, uh, the world is coming to get me. And so um I, I just encourage people to try to go and do what they can do uh to maybe resist that urge <laughs> so um we get people that uh maybe fabricate uh some opinions about uh how things work in our organization and and they just assume things and so when one assumption leads to four more assumptions 
And then the next thing you know, um, I'm a bad guy or Frank's a bad guy or, or we have some sort of a story. So uh, try and get your information and your facts from a credible source. I don't even know who to tell you is a credible source anymore, but um, try, try to deduct your own opinions, you know, even with this FAA stuff where a lot of it's not super positive, but um, you know, yeah. So there's that. And then when it comes to putting on the jamboree and everything, um, uh, there's just, there's so many little inner workings that go on at the Jamboree. There's so many events that happen, whether they're competitions or um, uh, just the day-to-day -day workings of our, of our Jamboree. And so um, it takes a lot for us to go and organize that and put it all on and everything. And, and every now and then, sometimes something falls through the cracks and we, we make a mistake and we always try to own it. Uh, we always try to make it better. And so um, a lot of times, you know, we, we try to do that in private. And so um, not everybody finds out about it. And then when somebody does find out about something, they jump to the conclusion, you know, like once again, we're the bad guy for big bad urcha, you know, so yeah. That's where, we, we, where Frank and I have had some, some problems with negativity of, of people usually, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, I know we are definitely in full on planning mode right now. So, um, I would say that, yep. So, uh, we start planning for the next jamboree before, uh, so like, when the 2019 one, before we go to 2019 Urcha, we've already started working on 2020 Urcha. So we're more than a year away uh, to go and start planning next year's events. Um, it's just, we have to stay ahead of it because there's so many little things that can run off on you if you don't, uh, don't try and keep them up. And so, um, yeah, so we, we try to do that, putting in a field request to make sure that we have the use of the field and everything. Try not to go too far off on the rocketry debacle of last year, but uh, things like that tend to that they will happen. And the, you know, I, I would just say that we just have to learn to work with it. But um, yeah, so we got things like that. We've got um, you know going and making sure that uh, the hotels are going to understand that hey, we're going to have a lot of people coming to Muncie that week. Uh, making sure that we have catering vendors at the site. Uh, those people get busy, they get booked up, you know, we have to get ourselves in on time and early in order to make sure that uh, those people are there and able to provide their services to, to everybody. Um, and then, you know, right now we're still, you know, going and formulating uh, all the stuff. Um, I think our, our vendor packets are going out for uh, uh, anybody interested in uh, becoming a, a vendor or sponsor for the event. So, um, yeah. So we've got all that stuff getting ready to go out right now. I would say hopefully somewhere around uh, March to April, we should have uh, registration opened up for people to be able to pre-register for the January. And, um, you know, we, we got a new website this year. The new website has allowed us to do quite a bit better job of, uh, of managing pre-registers and uh, having everything kind of ready to flow when, when people show up to, uh, 
to pick up their uh, their packet registration. Hey Wes, um, I would like to circle back uh, a little bit. Um, Sure. Uh, I last last year, I think that uh, Ercho started um, bundling the um, Ercho registration with the Jamboree entry free entry yeah. fee, um, um, yeah. which means that in theory, I'm uh, you know because that last year was my first Ercho. Um, in theory, I'm, I'm an Ercho member, okay. so I wanted to circle back um, to to the voting uh, basically because um, sure. so in theory, uh, I am now uh, you know a member of Ercho. Does that mean that uh, I'm uh, allowed to vote, or is that voting allowed for anyone who goes in? One and two. What would be like the method of voting? Okay, great question. So uh, yes, anyone who is an Urcha member is uh, entitled to vote, and so um, you know uh, it's not intended for uh, outside. What am I trying to say? It's only for Urcha members are the only people that get to participate in the election, right? And so uh, it's my job to make sure that we keep it like that. But anyway, so uh, if you go to the website, urcha.org, and then uh, there's an election tab. And uh, um, under the election, there's a nominee selection. And so if you were to go and look at that, you would go and see a list of the three nominees. And then there's also, it says 2020 election, and then uh, nominees. And then uh, around the nominees above and below, it says click here to vote. And so uh, it's a Google document poll. And so uh, people can go and uh, and vote right there with that poll. I believe it does require a Google login. And if you are not a Google login kind of person, uh, you are able to go and just send me an email uh, with your name and urgent number to uh, uh, an email that's listed, and that will go, and that count is your nomination. I don't want or your uh, your vote. I don't want to uh, make this too hard for everybody, but uh, I, I need to make it usable for me too. Thanks for uh, getting that out there, because I I really want to try and get more people to vote, but I'm trying to uh, come up with more channels to to reach out to people. I think we're going to send a, a mass email out uh, here pretty soon. So yes. Yeah, for sure. At least everyone that uh, that listens to any podcast should vote for for Robert Monty. <laughs> I like I like the plug. <laughs> Robert's gonna love us for this one. All right. I don't know. I think I should write in uh, Frank Moradiejos. <laughs> dude, don't do yeah. that. A couple of it's first of all it's Moradiejos, so let's get it correctly oh, okay. for all the non-Spanish speakers. I'm definitely a non-Spanish speaker. <laughs> Wes, say my last name, man. Moradiejos. More Moradiejos. Yes. More getting closer. You're getting closer. More Dielos. Vote for Frank Mordiellos, everyone. <laughs> no, don't vote for me. Don't vote for me. No, no, I, I don't know. No, I'm nowhere near, nowhere near have the, the rights to even think I would be on their board. Um, so, uh, Wes, one thing I keep hearing, and, I, and I, I've never been to Archer. This is going to be my first year. And I should have gone a long time ago, but I haven't. But every year, we, there's, a, there's a consensus for the last two or three years that the event's getting smaller. It seems smaller, but at the same exact, it's getting it's get, it's getting smaller. But everyone that goes there seems to have more fun every year. And there's always more I, after. It is I always see it as Urcha like the two weeks before. Everybody's pissed off that something they didn't Urcha they didn't do something right. But after that, everyone's super happy about it. Yeah. So yeah. So um, what are you? What is? What is your opinion on that? Well, um, so it. 
I run the registration for all the people that register for the Jamboree. So if you pre-register online, which we really do appreciate, you know, I, I touch your packet. If you uh, come up and pay and register in person at the Jamboree, which is more expensive, I'm gonna tell everybody that right now, please go and pre-register. Um, anybody that's run an event has some idea of the level of importance for pre-register because you can figure out how many shirts you need. We can figure out how many porta potties we need, right? And we can figure out all this stuff. If we don't have a good idea of what we're doing here, and we have to, and we, we've had this happen where we missed on something like porta potties, and it gets so disgusting. I'm not even going to go into the detail, but it gets really bad when we miss on something like that. I'm just going to tell you right now. And so, um, yeah. So we, we just we need to try and hit hit a number of knowing what it's going to be. It doesn't matter if it's 50 people or it's a thousand people. You just need to know what's going to be coming in your direction. And so. Um, this year we had more people than we did the previous year. It was only 50, 60, uh, maybe 75 more people this year than last year. I can't, I can't remember what the exact number was this year. I wish I could. It was 500 and something. Um, I feel like the, um, the people that we get that are coming are people that are um, more, what's the word for it maybe? They're more serious hobbyists, maybe, you know? They, they really enjoy it. They're people that are really passionate about it. And I, I think we may have had, in our bigger years, uh, more people that were maybe more casual hobbyists, more 450 size and 500 size specific hobbyists. And so um, I think with the large number of, you know, 700 class helicopters that you would go and see there, um, and we still serve a lot of the smaller groups as well. There's no question about that. But I feel like we are seeing more people with bigger helicopters than maybe we used to. And so um, as, as a byproduct of that, I think there's just less people because they tend to be more expensive. Um, if you look at the brands out there, most of the brands don't really, uh, we got Blade and Oxy uh, that are really in the small heli market. but. Uh, Everybody else, it seems like, just dabbles in the smaller hel helicopter market, whether it's a line or um, I don't want to name too many people here, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're 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 all great machines, um, but uh, you know, awesome, awesome. Yeah. So, um, one complaint I'm always hearing from everybody, and that's not really to urge, is that we don't do enough competitions in the United States, right? All the all the big competitions are across the across the pond or in Asia. Uh, this is it's not directly related to Urcha, but it's right before Jamboree, and that's Nats. Um, have you guys thought about how to, you know, how you guys try to tie Nats and Urcha together? Like, what was the logic and the reasoning behind that? Because it makes all the sense in the world. I just want to see what was the, if they're already there, you know, you'll keep, they'll stay there for a couple more weeks, for a couple more days. Yeah, so um, uh, the Nats, as far as uh, the Nats is... Oh, can you tell us what the Nats is, what the actual... Sure, it's the U.S. Nationals for RC Helicopters is what we're talking about, and it's abbreviated as the Nats. And so uh, it's a competition that we have in Muncie the week before Urcha. And so um, something that I'm sure some people will know, but not everybody's going to understand, but... Um, 
AMA has this huge facility and the week before uh, when we have the helicopter gnats basically we're at the end of the gnats schedule is what I'm going to call this right so there's lots of other hobbyists out there that are participating in their level of gnats whether it's control line gnats or pylon racing IMAP F3A pattern sailplanes free flight all these people are swarming to Muncie, Indiana and having their kind of national contest in um, Muncie, Indiana. And so um, all this stuff is, everyone's coming there for this. Um, we just happened to put the helicopter one at the end and then have the Urcha Jamboree uh, associated with it. Is that, I don't know if, that, I don't know if that really helps, but um, there's a huge gnats going on. And that, that's one of the problems we have with our Urcha schedule is there's all these other gnats events that are going on. And, and that's how rocketry was able to go and and uh, get us moved off because they were having a world level competition. So they had the World Rocketry Championship in Muncie, Indiana um, on the weekend that we normally had the helicopter jamboree. Uh, there's all those things that kind of play into this picture. And it's, it's hard to describe all this to everybody <laughs> when, when all they hear is, I'm not getting my date. Well, so, but understand what is happening. So there's always been some great competitions at Urchard. Right? There's been the, um, the the one, which was kind of the one that that really kind of came to my eyes because I just I love seeing people compete. You know, I just think that you can see a lot of things happen in competition to a person, and you really admire their 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 backbone and how they go through adversity. So I'm always appreciate that a lot. And now you guys having that all the brands. Uh, what are some of the other ones that you guys like? Little fun competitions like um, what's the one that? All right, so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out one other really big one that uh, you're, you're. I know it's just because you haven't been there, but it's probably uh, my favorite is the night fly competition. And so the night fly competition, and I think it's been for the last few years, people love the night fly competition. And so um, the night fly is a huge attractor of people. And so um, I would say that in in the battle of the brands, those two competitions are. Are where it's at and i think a lot of people um the one competition was kind of a competition of showmanship maybe right and we've kind of got the rules set up for the battle of the brands uh where it's the best helicopter pilot you know um you can do whatever you want to go do with your helicopter and uh the audience is going to vote on uh their opinion of who was the best Right. And so um, that's kind of the way that we go when we take um, we, we go in that direction. Does that make sense? So, um, yeah, uh, I think you guys, is there a correct me if I'm wrong? I've heard of another one. Is there the one for the what's the one for the guys that are not sponsored or they're just coming up? You know, I think I think Mitch Barosa. Yeah. Urch's Got Talent. Urch's Got Talent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So our, our first Urch's Got Talent uh, was won by, oh, come on, you'd go and ask me that, Reese Wyatt. Okay. Yep, he was, the, I believe, the first winner of Urch's Got Talent. And so uh, he's a, a young guy from, uh, uh, where is he from? 
Australian. There yes, you go. Australia. Yes. He's an aligned pilot. And he, he came out and threw out an amazing flight on this richest got talent thing. And he was like 10 at the time, I think. Uh, and that was amazing. And then this year he came out and flew in the auto contest. And, right. you know, he kind of slugged his machine out there. He's got Kyle Dahl on one side and Mitch on the other. And he's yeah. like, I'm going to go battle with these guys. And he smoked them. It was awesome. He yeah. won the, uh, the uh, auto contest. This year. That is awesome. So, uh, yeah. Those guys were throwing down really big autos and ended up tearing some stuff up. So uh, Reese did it. Some awesome inverted limbo autos, and uh, he did a great job. So. Yeah, I always look forward to the the videos, and I haven't been there yet. And, and hearing photos, oh, yeah. lose his mind. You know, I think he's he's one of my favorite. <laughs> if, you, if you guys ever have a chance to go to a fun fight where photos gets kind of mic, you will yep. you will definitely. If you're out there flying, he'll get you to the stuff you've never done. You know, it's it's excellent. Yep. It's awesome. And, okay. and maybe some stuff you have done before that crash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll put some he stuff into the ground. He may talk you into the ground. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, that being said, is there, do you see a way that everybody can get more, uh, get more people to compete? Like, I think the, like, for example, uh, I think he's your team, your team member, Angel. Angel's a, um, he's a Florida guy, so I always talk to him all the time. We go hang out at all the fun flights. He comes to mind. He's been, he's been driving me nuts to say, hey, you should compete. You need to get into it. You'll see that your other flying will get excited. Is, is, there some, is there ways we can improve that? Because I think competition really uh, drives markets. Yeah. I, you know, I, it drives people to do things. I totally agree with you. And so uh, what we have are a few different types of competitions. And there's kind of a competition for everybody's um, <clears throat> tastes, maybe, right? So uh, we have uh, the class one through three, and then uh, F3C four. Uh, that's going to be for hovering and then precision aerobatics. And so um, if you're going to go and tell me that oh that f3c stuff is easy then i'm gonna say okay let's see you go do you know some of the aerobatic maneuvers mr aerobatic pilot you know and so they're quite they're they're challenging um we had uh, uh ben stork this year for example um he he did his f3n flight which is one of the other takes and so um we went and challenged Ben and said, hey, Ben, would you try and do this F3C auto? And he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I got this. And I, we all just kind of sat back and laughed. And he's just like, I'm going to go kill it. Watch this. And so he goes out and does it. And he did a really beautiful auto, but it was not a very good uh, auto for as far as what we're looking for. And then we explained to him what we were looking for. You got to do it like this, this, and this. Okay. So he goes up and does another one, and then comes back down. And it was better. And then he goes up and does another one and it was better. And he was ready to kill his batteries just trying to go and get better at doing this auto that we were trying to describe to him. Um, and so that's kind of the mother of competition and how we go and get people into it is, you know, hey, that was really good, but try and do it more like this because this is what uh, it's supposed to look like. And it's not as easy as what you might think it is. And so, um, the the autos are in a higher level of competition so you don't have to be able to auto to do this if you can tail in hover uh and do a few pirouettes and then maybe a loop and a roll and a stall turn that's the first level of competition and so um 
that was the level that Angel flew in. And I know while Angel's, you know, quite a bit better pilot than that, and he can do a lot more maneuvers than that, that stuff alone is really hard to go and do. So um, I would encourage people to, uh, you know, get some interest in, if you have an interest in doing that, just please reach out to any of us. Uh, uh, we'd all, a lot of us would be out, be glad to go and help you get some guidance to go in the direction to, to figure out the, uh, what you want to do with that. So that's the precision side. Then we have the more 3D competitions, right? And so 3D competition is more, uh, we call that F3N. And so for November F3N. And um, it is uh, uh, an orchestration of set maneuvers, uh, which are a list of maneuvers, which uh, you get a K factor based on what maneuver you go and fly, right? Um, there's pirouetting globes and all these uh, really complex maneuvers in there. And then there's things just like basic tip-tops. Tail-down tip-tops is a maneuver. Three tail-down tip-tops, I think it is. And so you go do these three tail-down tip-tops. Well, your three tail-down tip-tops might have a K-factor of six. Well, the pirouetting globe has a, a K-factor of 27. So if you can do really good tail-down tip-tops and get a 10 on that, and you get a zero for your pirouetting globe, well, you would have been better off if you had done tail down TikToks rather than going out trying to fly this, you know, pirouetting globe. And so um, it's, it's figuring out what maneuvers you can go and do with your set maneuvers to, to be better. And so um, we have a lower level of F3N, uh, which is an entry level. And it has a, I can't remember the max K factor, but it, yeah, it's max K factor of 10, okay? And so this max K factor of 10 is gonna get you away from having to fly against Maxwell, you know, back when Jamie Robinson was flying or Ben Stork or any of those guys. So that's gonna shed you from, or get you some protection from not having to go compete against those guys. So, um, and then you go and do a, uh, a freestyle flight as well. So it's comprised of the set maneuvers and a freestyle flight. Um, and it's more than one set of set maneuvers and more than one set of uh, freestyle flight. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's the more basic level. And then the last thing that they do in the full F3N is a music flight. So uh, it's a, a flight to whatever song you mix up or make. and. Uh, want to go fly to and um, you know some things you might not think about are let's say you go and do um, pyro flips right everybody loves pyro flips so if you go out and do pyro flips to the left with left tail you'll get a certain score for doing pyro flips we'll say and then if you go out and show that you can do that same set of pyro flips to the right that shows symmetry and that you can go and have mastered that maneuver both to the left and to the right, and you'll get a higher score for putting in pyro flips left, pyro flips right. If you go out and just do axial, just normal aileron rolls, if you do aileron rolls left and then aileron rolls right, that will get you a higher score. Funnels to clockwise, funnels counterclockwise. You know, maybe tail down funnel versus, you know, um, um, nose down funnel, I mean. There's just different ways to go and uh, earn yourself points by just reading the rules and saying, okay, this is what they're looking for. And so 
those are kind of our, 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 our basic competitions. And so we really are trying to encourage people as Urcha and as, uh, you know, a hobby to maybe come give some of this stuff a try. Um, you know, uh, it's, not, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, it takes some commitment, but um, it, keeps, it keeps you motivated. That's the thing that it definitely does for me is um, everybody falls into a slump when you go out to the field and you're like, I just don't feel like uh, going out and burning more nitro or just burning up packs today. I just, I don't feel like it. But uh, for me, my preparation to go out and fly starts before I ever leave the house. I've gone and looked over uh, my maneuver sets that I'm planning to go out and practice today before I leave my house. So it gets me thinking about what I'm going to go do when I get out there. And so uh, you go out with an organized kind of plan of what I'm going to go do. So um, I'm going to try and get there at this time. And I have until X when I'm planning on leaving the field. And here's all the stuff I want to go practice. And so when I show up with that list of stuff, um, you know, I, I enjoy doing the hobby, but at times uh, I get, you know, in a slump or distracted that I just don't want to, I don't know, you guys know what I'm talking about. You don't feel the, the urge to be super active. So um, it, it, at least for me, it helps me stay active. So. Yeah, we had uh, we'd actually talked about that on a, an episode a couple of times ago about uh, what you do when you get in that slump where, you know, yeah. you just don't really want to get into it. Although you know full well that once you do get into it, you'll be happy you did. Yeah. And maintaining that level of, um, of just, you know, upkeep. I actually did have a couple of questions for you. Um, first one, what does the K stand for in the K factor? Okay. So K factor. So um, all of the competition stuff that we've talked about uses a K factor. So um if you're doing a hovering maneuver, let's say, and you go out and you're gonna fly your hovering maneuver, it might have a, a K factor of an eight. Okay. Ooh, I'm sorry, so, not, not, not what does it represent, but what does the K actually stand for? Is there a, is there, a, is it an abbreviation for something? That's an excellent question. I don't know. It's uh, used by, um, I don't know who is the governing organization for F3C. Um, FAI or FAI. There you go. There you go. FAI. Yeah. And they don't they like govern like Formula One racing and lots of yeah, they have competition. They're like the Federation with some French some French um, they do F3C the the speed cup the speed cup the uh, and all that. That's yeah, even That's in like the, the full scale aerobatics, like we use K factors, and I'm not, I, I've never really asked what the K stood for, but um, you know, each killer, killer. There you go. How killer it I'm is. Gonna, I'm going to say it stands for cool. K E W L. No crazy. I'm, K. I'm going to have to get back with you because there's a lot of people yelling at their their podcasting <laughs> app right now, going, "You idiot!" It stands for kick ass. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Kick ass yeah. factor. I love it. Okay, case closed. <laughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, for, for everybody that doesn't know what it means, so, uh, there you go. It, it goes and it means that uh, that uh, maneuver is awarded a score. So let's, um, we, we normally score on a score of zero through 10. And so if you get a seven on a K factor of eight, uh, you get, you know, seven times eight is what, 56, right? So you get 56 points for that one maneuver. And then your uh, aileron roll 
it might be a k factor of say four because an aileron roll is easier than that two minute or 45 second hovering maneuver you did so if you get a uh, seven on your aileron roll you're only getting 28 points right so um if you you want to make sure you try and get higher scores on a higher k factor maneuver so as you were listing off the different ones that would get various point levels, I was trying to figure out which ones I could potentially do. Um, <laughs> my, my second question is, if you had to ballpark, um, I'm sure this isn't something that you know off the top of your head, but if you had to ballpark, how, how many people would you say participate in these types of competitions every year in the US? You know, that's a good question. I, I would go and say how many um, of the uh, precision uh, aerobatics and uh, hovering competitions, you know, it's precision aerobatics and hovering. Uh, do we have, I'd say there's probably six competitions in the U.S., probably a year. Um, uh, Monty, who also participates, I, he'd probably say that's higher than the number that there are. Um, it might be, it might be less than that, but um, at the contest we have in Nashville, uh, I want to say we had close to 30 or 40 participants maybe it was 25 or 30 participants this year. Um, and then we have at the Nats, we see a, a lot of swings in, in competitors at the Nats. We might have 30 competitors one year, we might have 50 or 60 competitors one year. It, it just kinda, how much do, I don't know if it's us as Urcha, how much do we get it out there and get it promoted or or what really causes the swings in the Nats competitions. I don't think we've cracked that code yet on uh, how we... Do you see a lot of um, international attendees? Uh, for the competitions or for the... Uh, not really for the, for the competitions. If um, we, we do on occasion get a, a few people that come from uh, Asia and places like that to come compete um, for, for those competitions. Um, for stuff like Battle of the Brands, it's filled with international competitors. So um, I, I would say if we're talking about the, the Nats and things like that, we don't get a lot of international competitors. But for Battle of the Brands, we have lots of international competitors. I'd say probably uh, I'll throw out a number of 40 to 50% of the competitors are not, not uh, U.S. citizens. So. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we forgot one on the Urcha Speed Cup. Yeah, Urcha Speed Cup. That's another another great competition. And so um, we got, uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Everybody needs to go to the Urcha Speed Cup and watch. At a minimum, you need to go watch it one time and watch, you know. A the carnage has to be amazing. Or, uh, the, <laughs> the carnage, <laughs> the carnage is amazing. The carnage is <laughs> Were you there the year that uh, Justin Pucci destroyed his uh, R5? I think that was like three or four years ago. I was not. I was not at the uh, Speed Cup when that happened. I think I might have been at the Jamboree, but I don't think I was at the Speed Cup. And so, but I, when you hear a helicopter hit the ground at 2,800 to 3,000 RPM, and it's a big helicopter, and it's going 100 miles an hour or more, it, it makes a thud. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, lo I love watching the speed competition videos um, just because it amazes me that they can go that far out and then still be able to retain their orientation because, you know, half the time in yeah. the video, I'm not even sure where the helicopter is, let alone what direction yep. it's facing. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it, it, it takes a lot of trust in your ability to do it. I have a, a speed machine and you have to know where the helicopter is at. If you're trying to look at the helicopter to give you some sort of um, indication as to the attitude, this yeah, you is won't probably get it. not going to end well. <laughs> you won't yeah. get it. You got to know where it is. You have to know where it's at the entire time. Um, so the only time you get to see it's when it's in level flight, blistering by you, right. going really fast. So, what um, um, what uh, kind of mach uh, machine do you have? Your what is your speed? Helicopter? I have a, a Diablo Speed. Oh, nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. So um, it's uh, it's definitely a. Uh, uh, in charge. Which 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 number is it? Uh, it's actually a factory kit. So um, uh, I'm a team pilot for Peak Aircraft, and uh, mine is another one of the ones that did not get a number. Oh, okay. So uh, there's a few of us with kits out there that aren't numbered, and so uh, mine mm, is one. Interesting. Uh, I didn't know that. And the, and the uh, reason I Max, Maxwell's was. Yeah, I didn't know they numbered. had unnumbered ones. That's cool. Yeah. They, yeah. They had, uh, yeah. They're very special. Uh, Andres Van Quicken, he he flies with me at Amps. He's he he has a yeah. he's he has a um, he has a Diablo. He has a number Diablo of speed. Great pilot. But he flies he flies too many jets now. But he's a uh, he's excellent dude. His dad Carl's the kindest human being I've ever met. You know. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I get like four passes with my Diablo speed. Uh, before the uh, batteries were dead, though. 14S, I think a 5500s, oh, wow. um, 27S, 5500s. And so, um, yeah, four passes and everything is, we'll go with warm. <laughs> it's pretty hot. And uh, I don't think I've ever even seen a four, 14S set up in real life. Uh, oh, really? Okay. I'll uh, scare you. I'll scare you. I, uh... 12 is the biggest I've seen. That's crazy. Okay. Um, I did have a couple other questions that are, um, I guess, kind of gearing more towards the AMs, AMA side of things. Yeah. Uh, does Urcha have, or I guess the, maybe the board of Urcha, have an agenda that it creates every year to, I guess, further our interests and our meaning the, the helicopter hobby? Um, with the AMA, is it, um, is it something that's very uh, regimented and laid out? Like, this is what Urcha's going to do this year, and this is how we're going to do it? and, and Or, or is, it, is it more fluid? Um, I guess, and I guess to add on to that, while you're thinking about the first question, what um, I, I guess I'd say what I guess what would be your goals every year as a board member? Okay. So um, we have uh, a set of bylaws that we function within, and the bylaws go and state what our goals are of Urcha. Okay, so we go and do our best to go and stay within the confines of the bylaws. Now uh, you asked about AMA, and so. Um, the relationship with AMA, while we're a SIG, we're also kind of our own group. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we we do a lot to try to um, promote helicopters with AMA, but you know, um, I don't know. It's it's hard to go and and make a case that uh, AMA really needs us for a lot. They tend to kind of come to us when they need some guidance for something, um, and so. Uh, yeah, we we have a relationship with them. We have normal communication with them about about things, um, but it's usually more things that have to do with the jamboree, or um, a member has a question, or you know, 
somebody needs help with a helicopter. We get people that reach out to AMA and go, hey, I got a helicopter and I'm trying to go and fly it and I'm not successful. Can you help me? And so AMA goes and says, absolutely. Here's, you know, uh, the Urcha website and go talk to, uh, are you on Facebook? Go find Wes on Facebook or whatever or whomever. And so we constantly get people reaching out to us that are brand new to the hobby and we try to give them some guidance and get them some more help, um, you know, provide them to some of the assets that are out there, things like Heli Freak and Run Rider, you know, the Hangout. Hey, and don't forget, don't forget the most important one. The Hangout. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, if you could make your hangout a little more searchable, it would probably help, but that's not your fault. Oh, man. You, you know what? We just hit 4,000 members, and I think it's because I of know. the other admins that let people in, because I don't, <laughs> I don't like to let anyone in. I am so picky about the people that get in there. Like, once you're in there, I'll take you up. Uh, yes, it's only really bad to get kicked out. But once yeah. you're in there, we, we care for, I care for every member on there, even the ones that annoy the hell out of me. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I don't. How about the ones that? Ne- how about the ones that never show up? Eh, you know, <laughs> still there. Come by, say hi once in a while. You know. Yeah, and so we, we try to go and um, uh, make 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 it better than what it is now, and make it better for future people, and make it better for for everyone right now. So um, it's just it's really hard when um, you know we all have lives, we all have you know, our day-to-day operations. So uh, working futures with Urcha is is tough, you know. Um, We knew we needed a new website. And so uh, myself and uh, Augie Copter have put in thousands of hours I'm going to go with on, on, you know, getting our new website up and and running last year. And so uh, we've got, you know, more plans for more things coming in the future. And so it's just kind of one step at a time. Yeah, check out check out the Archer website and check out uh, the Augie's tools, the his page cage they used. Yep, the RC Heli Toolbox. Yeah, that's, so we got the RC awesome Heli tool. Toolbox, which is our app uh, that uh, Augie Copter he designed. That I did some, uh, you know, quite a bit of beta testing for it, but that was that was all him. Uh, but but we we had a lot of conversations with him about what we needed for uh, features in the app and things like that. So uh, we've got a head speed calculator, we've got a pitch gauge, and then, um, there's both an iOS and an Android version available for the app. And so um, you have to download the Android version from our website, um, and then the uh, iOS is uh, findable in the app store. So. Oh yeah, it's got. A, I use it all the time for a units converter. You know, somebody will say, "Oh, it's you know thirty-five kilometers." And I'm like, "That means nothing to me." I do it. <laughs> I do it for a head speed calculator. I do it to set my pitch on it. So if you go on the website, there's also a arbiter that your phone goes in that turn, makes your phone a pitch gauge. It's by far the best pitch pitch gauge in the market. Forget anyone that you have already. Even though I am a big fan of the circle tool, that one is the best. Yeah. So. So you have this $1,000 device that Apple or uh, Google or, you know, Samsung have spent, you know, we'll go with millions of dollars designing. And it's got all these advanced accelerometers and everything like that in it. And through, through the, we'll call it the magic of Augiecopter, we have a pitch gauge that reads uh, pitch in hundreds of degrees. And so 
um, it does a really good job of, uh, of, you know, putting it where it needs to be. So. Although it's funny, after all that R&D, it still manages to have the world's worst compass. <laughs> we do not have the compass in, <laughs> in the app. But, um, <laughs> I hope you don't enable that feature. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I can tell you that the uh, head speed calculator, there are, that is such a feature-rich head speed calculator that most people, dare I say, don't really understand. And so if you get out there and uh, Augie Copper did a video about it and if you can watch the video, because it's long and it, it really discusses all the features and what you should be looking at for your setup. So if somebody ever needs help or understanding, we'll be glad to help you with it. But he's got an awesome video out there that we've shared quite a few times of uh, how to use the head speed calculator. So we got to get Augie on here. I think we need to do another uh, show with Augie. You guys will get a crack out of him. He's he's actually a fellow. He's one of the admins on the Hangout as well. So I keep him close because he's very knowledgeable. And I won't say I won't, I won't give you his history, but it's he he. Had, I think he has more combined uh, RC experience than everybody on this uh, on this podcast right now combined. Like it goes that far back. I would I would very much yeah. agree with that. I would very very. He, he's done things as well that nobody knows about, nobody's aware of in the hobby, not even necessarily the things he's done for the hobby, but he had a venture a long time ago where he's like, hey, I think I'm going to go and build this. And he built this huge elaborate thing. And then he's like, no, nah, I think I'm done with it. And I'm like, you have this beautiful thing. And he's like, yeah, but I couldn't do anything with it. it he's also so nice. has... Uh... Can we say the story at from his event where he got uh, Maxwell and the Align guys a uh, little loot uh, yeah. tied up in, in that maneuver? What does he call it? The the, yes. the butterfly or what's, what's the name? The hourglass. The hourglass. Yes. Hourglass. Yes. So he does he does a maneuver where it's um, so uh, step back here. Augie has amazing pyro control. Okay. Most of his flight looks like it's out of control unless he's pirouetting, okay? If you just watch him fly across the sky, it's gonna make you nervous. But if the helicopter's pirouetting, he can pirouette at the speed of heat, like the tail is broken, and do beautiful pirouetting loops and funnels and pyro flips and whatever you wanna go and do. And so he does pirouetting funnels, basically, and he transitions the helicopter between, I think it's a, nose down internal funnel into a tail down uh internal like uh in, into a tail down funnel is yeah. that right yeah it sounds about right you're it's almost you're pyro flipping while still doing a funnel that's the way i kind of i, I Correct. understand and it's pyro flipping while doing a funnel that's I, I forgot to mention it yes it's pirouetting the whole time as well and so he goes out and does it and then um He's like, oh, you just do it like this. And he's got his finger out there swirling around and everything like that. It's great. And then uh, he goes and gets uh, Ben and Nick to try to do it. And Alan, I, I can't, I don't think Alan tried, but uh, I, actually he did. He did try. But um, anyways, they're out there all trying it and everything. And um, I think everybody that listens to your podcast has probably gone out and attempted to do pyro flips. And at some point in your trying to do pyro flips, the helicopter is pirouetting and headed to the ground really fast. Well, you have not gotten a good laugh until you've watched those three guys' helicopter come plummeting at the ground doing pirouettes out of control because they've lost it. 
and then obviously they save it or whatever but it was it was a good laugh by all of us while they were trying to pull off this maneuver that um, he says he's burned up a couple of electric motors uh, doing the maneuver because he did it for like 30 seconds straight or something like that and it requires so much pitch that um, uh, he, he's burned up motors yeah. doing it. So. He's also running like um, a 35 series, a uh, 45 series motor at like 90, 99% on the ESC. So he's going, he doesn't fly, he doesn't know low head speed. He doesn't yeah. have a low head speed. His low head speed is 2300 or something no, like that. There's, that's correct. That's correct. He's, he's also talked me out of all my expo. So I think I'm running like 5% expo now. I used to be kind of a, uh, 15 to 25 uh, percent expo person so yeah he sets up my um he he sets up my models at net on next he'll give me the, the setup to use and i'm like jesus christ this thing is reactive it's like yeah that's how you have to set up your your real helicopters i'm like oh, are you crazy no 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 set this up and then he, he shaved me when i don't he shaved me when i don't over at my esc so every time i send him a picture of my telemetry he's like dude you need to, you need to run that a little harder why don't you do that? Why don't you do that on your 700? His XL power. I flew his XL power at the January this year, and it was, it was a little crazy. <laughs> I was not ready for it. So, but okay. So let's let's, let's take a break here from the Jamboree. And I think uh, I think the reason why we wanted to talk to you, we brought we wanted to brought you in not only for the Jamboree, but also we want to talk about what's going on with this um, with the new regulations or the the voting for the new regulations or what's going to happen. What is your opinion being a full-scale pilot as well as being a archer member and a hobbyist who's definitely involved? Yeah. So, so um, what are some of the things that you think and how would it affect us? Okay, so we've got- Also, before, go before you, sorry, before okay. you get started, man, um, for the odd one or two listeners to our show that might not be familiar with those proposed regulations, would you mind giving us yep. a summary as sure. well? So uh, we've got the uh, notice of proposed rulemaking. So every time the FAA goes and comes out and says, hey, uh, here's how we're gonna go and do something. And so uh, they come out and it's normally to everybody that is affiliated with an NPRM, it's usually feels like a bomb just got dropped on, right? And so um, whether it was, you know, reduced vertical separation, uh, minimums for airspace that they went and put out a few years uh, it was quite a while ago and so uh, they allow airliners and jets to fly closer together than they used to but everybody had to go and upgrade all their equipment in order to do it and everyone's like I don't want to spend the money to go do it right and now everybody does it and it's kind of the norm so um, I don't know uh, the whole remote ID thing is 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 kind of in in the same direction as you know, something like that with uh, ADSB for transponders for full scale that just came out not too long ago. And so there's a lot of things that uh, uh, come out through NPRMs. So, um, but anyway, we have uh, the NPRM and I believe it's 300, a 300 page long page document. I've not read the whole thing. I've just read through sections of it. And it addresses a lot of, uh, different aspects of uh, the hobby, we'll call it maybe, whether you, you, you do this as a helicopter person flying uh, as a hobbyist or if you're a commercial operator. And so this uh, is kind of got everyone lumped into, hey, here's what we wanna go ahead and do and here's how we wanna go ahead and go forward. And so 
Um, there's a lot of great information out there. I think Bobby did a uh, podcast uh, video the other day, didn't he? Uh, excellent, with, excellent, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, with uh, Steve, I can't remember what his last name was. Um, he, had, he, had a, he had a weirder last name than me, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> Gwing, Gwing, or something like that. And so uh, he did that. And so, uh, yeah, so there's, there's things like this uh, that are great places, I would say, to maybe just go get some more information if you're wanting to learn more. Um, I can't tell you that everything on there is correct or right. I can just tell you, you know, what I've heard and what I know about it. And so um, this is by no means any kind of an official, <laughs> an official statement or, or anything like that. But um, the whole remote ID thing, the FAA is not very far along in, right? So the FAA is a governing body which makes policy. They are not a governing body which sells product, right? So you're never going to go and buy a remote ID from the FAA. They're not going to sell you a little, you know, RFID tag that's going to go on your model and uh, that's going to be your remote ID. So um, they provide policy and then they leave it up to industry to go and create the product that, um, that you need to go and be compliant with, uh, with what they do. And so um, I had a uh, helicopter business uh, for a few years where I did uh, aerial photography. This was well before uh, we had any kind of quadcopters or anything like that. And uh, DJI actually had a flight control uh, computer or an autopilot was kind of what it was called of, of that time that uh, would go and fly the helicopter for you. And it wasn't nearly as autonomous as what they've come up with now, but um, they, it did exist and it was really expensive. And then as they've gone and scaled their product, the prices come down. And so I would expect that if that's the, direction that we end up going that uh, that's probably what we could potentially see uh, with our hobby as well. So um, the FAA has not really gone, they've gone and given some technical specifications for what they want um, of the RFID stuff uh, of the tag. And so, um, but Nobody, nobody has one. There's not like one out there that we, that they could go and use for an example and say, oh, well, company X makes one here. Let's go look at this. And so uh, since it doesn't exist, the FAA went and came up with some uh, estimates for what it would go and cost for a company to go and produce, uh, say, uh, some of this hardware. And so it sounds like it was semi-expensive for uh uh, a company to get just the approvals from the FAA. Um, everything the FAA does is typically done through like a TSO certification type certificate, something. I can't remember what it stands for. But, uh, these uh, type certificate, they basically specify, here's the standard we want you guys to make this to, right? I know you guys do that with, uh, with uh, your architecture stuff. There's you know, standards that things are built to. And so that's basically what the FAA will go and come up with is, is what the standard is and then expect everybody to go out there and meet it. So um, how do you see, how do you see it? You know, you have in your hands and like you said earlier, you know, you listen to a lot of the podcasts and you're, you're involved in all the forums. How do you see that affecting the hobby? Like the actual, your typical guy who goes and, you know, who flies by himself, on the side of the road, how do you see all that 
happening? Like, is that guy no longer going to be, do you think if these proposed measurements go through, do you think that guy will continue to be doing that? Or he'll just shelf his stuff? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I really, I really don't want to even venture to go and say what, what that would be like for everyone. Um, uh, because I, I think that it would be, um, all right. So what do, what does the world look like right now? Right. So, um, if, if I, as a full scale pilot go and um, do something wrong, I break a regulation or, uh, I, I do something incorrectly. Um, the local police officer is not the person that I go and interact with um, of, of somebody of, for a violation. That's going to come from someone at the FAA, and that's going to come in, in, in from a different direction. So I'm not really sure if the FAA is planning on local law enforcement going and trying to um, keep up with this kind of stuff, because that's not really the job of, um, that's not really their job or in their description, you know? So I don't, I don't really foreshadow seeing, you know, a local police, police officer being the uh, person that you would interact with for a positive or negative interaction with somebody it would probably need to be somebody from the FAA. And so um, I have some friends that work at the FAA and, and, They've been out and seen people operate uh, commercial drones in, in completely un, uh, uh, unprofessional manner and in a, in a dangerous way. And they've gone and asked people to stop because they didn't have a license, they didn't have their part 107, they didn't have all the stuff they needed. And so they just uh, needed to go and, and intervene on, on those situations. So um, yeah, so there's, there's people out there operating in I don't know that it's necessarily maliciously, but it's not not the way that uh, things were intended to be done, you know. So, uh, for example, the the sentiment that I'm I'm seeing a lot on the on the forums is that you know the idea that if a few bad apples are going to ruin it for everyone, um, where you know the majority of people that do this are doing it responsibly, um, away from people, kind of off on their own, and I think that the real concern is that you will have local law enforcement trying to i mean basically trying to shut this kind of stuff down when as you said i think the ones that are really going to be targeted are for situations like you just mentioned where you've got someone and we used to hire these people all the time back at the architecture firm that i used to work for didn't have a license would have a massive drone and would fly through the middle of downtown during rush hour uh, with no regard for anyone's safety and those are the people that i think that these regulations are targeted towards but i mean everyone's concerned that this is going to be the death knell of the hobby obviously there's a death knell every six months it seems but this is the latest one well and, and that's that's kind of what i was trying to hint at earlier was um there's a uh, a death knell or a death march on our hobby every six months oh this is going to be the end of our hobby we're all still sitting there you know um you know i've been doing this since i was you know i'm 35 now i've been doing this since i was a kid and so I just, I, I struggle to go and believe that uh, I need to go and sell all my stuff because um, the FAA is shutting us down. You know what I mean? And so I, I try not to go and take that uh, level of uh, uh, I don't know, negativity towards uh, the way I look at life. And so, um, you know, somebody goes and 
and your local community gets in a car accident, right? And let's say that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fatal accident. Well, people tend to, you know, be a little bit more vigilant about driving and maybe texting and driving and doing things like that after something happens. And so um, hopefully we don't have to have some kind of a reactionary um, uh, type of um, behavior from, uh, from some sort of an incident. So if, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, and, 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 and it's very valid what you're saying, but here's the other thing. Um, and I haven't seen this from before and I, I don't know. So I say this ignorant, but I also see that there's a lot more rulemaking on the actual uh, safe model or apparatus that you're using to fly. They're, they're requiring a lot more. So that's kind of itself, not just the flying of it, but also it's destroying part of the hobby where, you know, whether we like it or not, is the modeling aspect of it, you know, where you're get to put together this kid and, you know, you get, you order, you get on your case, Futaba, on my case, BKs, you know, so we get, we, we kind of, kind of get to build our kit how we like, you know, uh, from what some other, because some of the comments on the, on the rulemaking proposal, they, they, you would not have that anymore. So that would make it extremely difficult. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm with you and I, I hear what you're saying. I feel like that um, uh, some of that stuff is probably gonna go and get flushed out of the actual official law that comes out, right? Because this is in the comment stage right now. This is a notice of proposed rulemaking. This is a proposal. This is not a final rule that we're griping about or something like that. And so. I think that we will hopefully go and see some carve outs for our hobby that are a little bit more specific. Um, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of people out there that are lobbying for this stuff and I, they've got a lot of money, you know? And so I'm gonna do my best to keep my opinions of who they are to myself, but um, I think everybody knows who they are. And so, um, yeah. There, there, yeah, Bezos is all your fault, man. <laughs> there you go. There you go. No, no, definitely. That's I. I it's all yeah. Amazon's fault. And you so know. you know, I mean, I, I don't know. They're going to go and lobby to go and do their small package delivery with the drones and everything. And so, I mean, uh, the only way that they can go and do that is to lock it down. Okay. So let's say they go and they lock it down, right? What does that mean? That means that. If they get it locked down and they go and have some sort of sentry on that, well, that would kind of eliminate competition, wouldn't it? But it would also violate their. And also, so I don't think that would last also violate very long. their own rules. You know, if you if you do small product delivery, you're you're not flying uh, uh, side of eye or whatever I forgot what they call it, but uh, line of sight. I can't yeah. speak line of sight. Yeah, I can't speak to it for some reason. I'm not even drinking, so uh, I, sh I should drink more often. You know, when I drink, I I'm a little smoother. You know. Uh, but uh, so their 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 proposal, what they're going after at the end of the day is essentially breaking rules that are already being applied to now. That you know that we've been following. You know the not to tweet the AMA horn. You know because I don't. I usually don't. They they catch they catch more shit than than Urza does. From, <laughs> <you know. laughs> yep. But you know the, the safety record speaks for itself. You know, we, you know, and I think the hardest part, I think the part that aggravates most people on both sides of the fence is how they don't uh, differentiate between a guy flying who just bought a DJI from Best Buy who hasn't spent any time, who hasn't gone through 
any kind of training, who doesn't even own their, who doesn't even have an AMA membership, who doesn't belong to a club, who doesn't, has, has a spent like this, and he's like, hey, I want to go fly, and they're sitting in Miami Beach chasing, uh, trying to record people going in there on a cruise boat. I'm like, man, if that thing fails and it hits somebody, you're going to hurt them. I think, I think they're going to go and get that stuff under control with this. You know, and I, I think that that's what their intention might be. And I, I, you know, I don't know that they realize that what they're kind of broadly painting with this broad brush is a uh, not the best for us as a hobby, you know, and so hopefully. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they do. It, it's just we're not large enough of an entity that anyone should care, honestly. I mean, there's there's not that many of us. But I mean, back to your, you know, your point about the, um, Frank, about the, uh, the guys with the drones out on the cruise ships. I mean, it seems like you could solve 99% of this issue by making DJI alone implement these regulations. And, and I, from what I understand, they're, they're not far off from them being able to do that, right? So um, it, it's not going to be terribly challenging to get DJI to go and comply with all this stuff, you know, I mean, it's more. And then we go back to being small enough not to be noticed. Uh, yeah. Potentially. Which is the way I like it. <laughs> potentially, yeah. And so I think that uh, uh, they're maybe starting to lose some market share of the hobbyists DJI is, but I, I think they're still growing in their commercial applications. You know what I mean? So I think there's less people that are just buying them to go spy on their neighbor. And there's more people buying them that, are going to be the next, uh, you know, I don't know, real estate or wedding photographer or whatever, you know. And and I can't imagine a single commercial operator that would not be on board with these regulations. Like, I mean, I would, I, I, I would absolutely love to have a safety network in place if I was operating these things close to buildings, low, you know, because because that's what it takes for that's what it takes for safety in that situation it does not take the same measures for safety in our situation. If you, the, this whole TSO spec thing that they're wanting this built to, if you go look at the specifications that we build airplanes to in the United States and in, uh, you know, some of the other, other countries as well, uh, you know, it's very specific for how we do things. The ASA and the FAA, they're very specific of how they want things done. But you go look at some of the other countries out there like uh, Russia, for example, um, while they've got some great engineering, their uh, regulations that require the level of safety just don't stand up to the same level that we do in the U.S. for what we're looking for. You know, one life lost is too many for us, where, um, you know, other countries are willing to take a little more risk. And so um, I think that's the, uh, the mindset that they're trying to apply to this. And this isn't the same thing, you know? We need to be safe, we need to have it, but we're, we're not trying to apply, um, you know, we're not carrying a thousand humans in a drone here, so. Yeah, no, that's a kind of an eye-opening statement there. Yeah, you're right, it's a, it's a blanket resolution for, I mean, a different level of context, so. Correct. Exactly. It's a different, this is a different context of what we're trying to do here. And so, you know, I think we could all agree that something needs to be done um, to, you know, discourage or somehow uh, play down um, 
all of the drone sightings, let's call them, that are going on out there of people flying in places they shouldn't be. Um, but I don't know that this this really does that, you know? Um, I, I hate to go political, but, you know, you go look at other things that get regulated and, you know, it's the criminals that are the ones that are the people <laughs> that you're out there trying to stop. Yeah, I, I was I was going to bring that up earlier. It's it's a very similar debate, except there are less advocates on our side, and and the same amount of advocates on the other side. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's sobering, you know, to um, especially if you think about just the progress that's been made on the legal front in the last let's say about four years. Um, it's I struggle to think of what our hobby will look like, and I'm not a by any means. I, I am not a you know the tin foil is strong with this one. But at the same time, you have to see that every year things are changing. And I struggle to think of what the hobby might look like in 20 years or, or if it will be or if we'll be able to recognize it. And I, I, I don't think that we're going to go in that direction. I don't. I, I honestly don't. That's just my personal opinion. I think that we will go and see some stuff that comes out of this. But I don't think that uh, it's going to be unrecognizable like uh uh, to just take your words there. So I think, I think we'll still have uh, a very similar thing to, to what we do now. It'll just be, it'll be different, you know, uh, go look at 10 years ago, nobody had a fly list unit, right? And so now we have fly lists and, um, you know, it's the standard. Nobody really knows any difference, you know? Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that this will just be a, a small milestone of, you know, a couple more circuit, circuits on a uh, fly wireless controller that will will get it done. And I think that's probably, uh, you know, like what you were saying, Frank, about going and buying, you know, individual components. I think that's what this will end up taking. It's just individual components that are going to need to be, uh, you know, actually certified possibly. And then everything else can go and be, uh, you know, we'll call it experimental. That's well, so this is one of the one of the issues that I have with it because you know you're limiting ingenuity then. You know, you're gonna have like you said, this is not something that's life-saving. This is not gonna be something like that. So you're gonna have, you know, the the guy in the in, you know, the next 18-year-old kid who's a computer freak, you know, who loves who 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 gets into the hobby, he's like, Man, I could I could read I could do this fly barless system better. I could program this better. You know, he's not gonna there's not going to be no one. There's not going to be no no driver behind to say, "Hey, I should go do this," because if I do, I got to do all this and I got to jump through all these hoops, and I'm and it limits me on what I could uh, essentially do. You know, so you're putting on cap on on the free market essentially by forcing this to happen. Well, I mean, you can you can think though of a future where I mean, you guys are familiar with uh, Spirit's Geolink system, right? I mean, you you could think of something maybe 10, 15 years from now where you've got a unit built into the, or part of the fly barless where it physically doesn't let you fly outside of the constraints of a digital box. Uh, and that is the safety measure. I mean, that is the alternative to broadcasting your identity to a local air, air trap, you know, air traffic control system is you've got something that says, Hey, you can only fly 600 feet in any direction. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think that that necessarily limits ingenuity is as more of just like a, a like the digital version of a seatbelt. So it's, so it's, so I go back to this one. I'm kind of harping on this one. It's so you, yeah, you got, there's a seatbelt, but there's never been an accident. It's no one's been killed by it. You know, there's, there's very limited, you know, potent, there's very little things that ever happened within the, out of the, my hobbyist, you know? 
So, it's, so I would go and argue that, you know, we've been, uh, we've had drones around about as long as we have had self-driving cars, you know, uh, and all of the self-driving cars out there, you know, they've hurt quite a few people, you know, and so uh, it's often been from irresponsible drivers and things, but, you know, uh, the self-driving car is not, you know, we don't all have self-driving cars for a reason because it's, it's just not there yet. And so uh, I think we're, this is the same direction. Yeah, but you know, that's like, so based on the self-driving car, that's a good argument because I can't wait till those things come out. I definitely don't want to sit through traffic. I want to nap through my my commute. Uh, but that's like saying, okay, you know, because because this is new new market coming out, we're going to make it more difficult for people who want to drive their car. So, you know, the guy that loves driving on the weekends, he's not going to be able to drive because he doesn't have a self-driving car that could potentially protect him in case something happens. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, 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 again, I struggle to see a future when that's not the case. Say 50, 60 years from now, it's going to be like riding a horse. I mean, you can ride a horse in a certain area. You can't just go down the street in one. Okay. So I, I would go and, and, you know, go ask somebody that watched Back to the Future, you know, and go and say, hey, do you think that you're going to have some of this stuff in, what was it, year, year 2000? Was that it? 2010? Oh, 2015, actually. I'm a big Back to the Future fan. Sad that I know that. <laughs> yeah, so in 2015, we're going to have, you know, hoverboards, right? And so, yeah, here it's 2020, and I don't see my hoverboard working like it did in Back to the Future. True, but there's a lot of other things that we have now that Back to the Future did not have, like a social media network that could wreck a political system. <laughs> there's some positives here, guys. <laughs> wow, I love that. Love it, love it, love it. Well, no, this is um, this is this has been an interesting conversation, and um, Wes, I, I definitely appreciate your perspective on this, considering that you are the only commercial pilot we've had on the show, and there are, as you said, you know, regulations that are primarily primarily generated with the idea of of saving lives um, at all expenses and um, in a dangerous environment, and and right, and we're talking about a not dangerous environment where there really isn't a risk to life, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, we, there is risk in doing everything, but I think that, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to give some props to AMA here. That they've really done a good job at advocating safety and advocating a safe way for us to go and, and conduct our hobby, you know, and we do that through self, uh, you know, just keeping each other honest on, on, on how we fly. You know, I, I think that I've definitely gone and, stood next to someone and you know they were flying closer to us than i was comfortable with and i'm like hey man if you don't care you know back that out another 10 feet i'm not i don't like it you know this close to me so um yeah javier are you still with us man uh yeah i still am but uh <laughs> you know my, my mind is, is is going through a lot of stuff it's just that i don't know um i just think that this is gonna open up a can of worms. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't like to, to sound negative, but, um, you know, I was, I was remembering there was an episode, I think it was on the AMA podcast that they talked about, um, and I didn't know that this even exists, but, um, but it makes total sense. Like, um, there's a guy with a drone, um, that, um, takes that drone and goes and parks it 
on the top of a building. And then that drone has enough battery to stay there for say 10 hours. Then that drone has a special equipment, you know, a hacker put puts special equipment into it that basically goes in and just starts cycling through trying to crack the Wi-Fi network. You know, just going out there and basically doing, you know, uh, an attack, just sitting there on the on 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 the um, on the top of the building, just trying to crack the Wi-Fi. Once it does that, it goes into the Wi-Fi, and um, it starts uh, getting inside the network. It starts getting important information. Then the hacker gets that drone back, downloads information, and then uh, asks a big chunk of money for that company uh, to, you know, not uh, get all the the information out. So, uh, you know, my, my point is that, you know, we can, we, can, we can try to put all these things onto, you know, all these electronics, all these new electronics into, the, into these, um, into our machines. And it's just going to put additional costs, you know, like, like the Bobby Watts uh, episode very well put it, you know, we're talking about moms and pops, basically, you know, you know shops here, you know, we're talking about people who are not making great money and great profits that all of a sudden have to pay all of these money. And then we anyways have people who, which are smart enough to crack all these systems. And, you know, if they can do that, you know, if they can do that with a drone, I mean, I, I don't doubt that they can crack, you know, a remote ID system or a geofencing system. So um, I don't know. I, I, it's just that I'm, I'm just like, you know, um, it bumped that, you know, the, the, you know, what was being said that we cannot differentiate. I don't know why it's so hard to differentiate between what we do, which is the modeling aspect. Um, and uh, I think that Bert also said it once on his podcast, you know, the difference is, um, you know, they don't go through a learning process, right? I mean, go, we go through a learning process of trying to get as much information as we can. We go and crash and then we go into the forums or we ask someone or someone helps us out. And then we go through a process of trying to learn how this is. You know, you have to save up uh, for, to pay for the parts and you have to figure out, you know, where to get the, the best price for the parts. And then there's out of stock in here and in stock there. And, you know, you kind of go through all of these processes to learn how to do these. You learn to appreciate it. Uh, you learn to, you know, get passionate with it and, and grow through it and learn about, you know, the proper safety that you have to have. And if not, someone will come and smack you in the head uh, and tell you, hey, you know, you're not doing this right. I mean, you, you're going to kill yourself if you keep doing this. You know, it's, it's all, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a different environment, right, where you, where you go through this whole ramp up process, which doesn't happen. With someone like you said, Frank, that goes and buys it into Best Buy and uh, just uh, puts a battery, uh, you know, charges a battery, puts it up, and the drone basically flies itself. And uh, and there there are valid concerns. You know, this guy can go and hack uh, uh, another another network, and this guy can go into the uh, neighbor's yard and you know take pictures of someone else's wife or kids or. A, a guy figures out the pattern of uh, someone that lives there and goes into the house when no one's there. I mean, there's a, there's valid concerns, but but it's uh, you know it's very clear who are doing all of these, right? I mean, it's very clear that that you know the mass availability uh, of of these of these devices is what's causing these. It's never been the problem with the monitors who go through all of these processes and. 
it, it really bums me out that, you know, we go into this rabbit hole um, of, uh, you know, trying to get um, all of these regulations that can easily someone who really has the wrong intentions with technology, because we're talking anyways about, you know, technology, technolo technological measures to try to, to, to detain these. While we on the other side have also technological technology that can be counter, countered, right? So um, the, the problem is not that, you know, the problem is that we have to differentiate between the people that are doing this, growing into something and getting into, you know, a, let's call it quote unquote safe environment, um, rather than someone who just goes and has no responsibility and just sees a toy slash tool or slash weapon, right? So, um, so, so that's, 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 that's my problem. That's why, you know, I was just thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. And I, and I don't want to be, you know, the negative one, but uh, it, it really, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, uh, it's just that I'm, I'm very passionate about this hobby, you know, and uh, it's, uh, it's really become something, uh, <laughs> something really, really strong for me. And it's, uh, it really bothers me, uh, you know, to, to get into, you know, it's a hobby and it shouldn't be, so politicized you know what i mean and and it really irks me that that it starts to get into that if someone jumped in you know listening halfway through your rant javier they you know you wouldn't be remiss in thinking that you were talking about honestly the gun debate in the united states because this is literally the exact same thing you've got a group of people that are responsible gun owners you've got another group of people that are not and how do how do you formulate regulations at a national level for both of those two groups of people and I mean, honestly, I, I don't know. If, I mean, I don't know how, you know, I, I personally own firearms. I keep them completely locked up and away from anyone else other than myself. But at the same time, I'm very well aware of the damage that they cause. The big difference between the debate that we're having and the gun debate is that there is no real danger with ours yet so far as proven. I mean, obviously there's a threat of danger as, you know, as Wes mentioned, there's, there's danger in literally everything you do. Uh, and yes, these could be used for all sorts of nefarious acts. Um, and I think the only thing that we have, not the only thing, one of the things we have going for us right now is that this is all hypothetical at the moment. Nothing of, this, of that nature has ever really happened. Um, but if you look at the actual nature of the argument, it's identical. You know, you've got law-abiding citizens and you have people that are going to do whatever the hell they want to, regardless of what the law is. And how on earth do you, in a commercial sense, how on earth do you regulate such a thing? And I would love to know an answer because, you know, if the gun debate is any indication, there isn't one. Yeah, no, I think I think there's the same argument to be made here. You know, um, uh, one of the uh, serious concerns that we have in uh, commercial aviation is, uh, you know, the jamming of GPS satellites, right? I mean, uh, a guy could go take a... Um, uh, a bag the size of a backpack, throw it over a fence on an airport property and, you know, destroy this GPS signal with a jammer within so many miles of an airport. You know, there's so much malicious stuff out there uh, that can be done to just disrupt other people and things like that, that, you know, uh, I don't know that uh, the right emphasis is being put on the right things, you know? Um, I think that uh... I think that sums it up perfectly. The right emphasis on the right things, because you're right. You know, you can have a regulation that covers 
99% of the population disproportionately <laughs> relative to their threat level. Great, great, great statement. That really does make complete sense and definitely kind of embraces this whole thing or encompasses this whole thing. Um, and, but I, my, my biggest issue is just look, three years ago, FAA couldn't do anything to us. And then that changed. So this can change as well. So I might sound like an alarmist and I might sound like this, but I don't see them not being able to change it. Like they can change the status quo now and they can tell us, hey, this is what you have to do. And depending on what they do, depending on what the, that comes out, you know, it might, you know, stop. It might make it impossible for manufacturers to be able to sell helicopters in the United States. You know, they can sell them outside of the country, but it might make it very hard because it requires more testing or something like that, you know. Don't get me wrong, I'll be flying out once a year to go pick my stuff up from Columbia or somewhere, you know, but I'll still get my fix on. But I'm just saying that they're... No, man. The TSA has your number, Frank. The TSA doesn't. <laughs> dude, I'm, I'm not saying bad. I'm not saying bad. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, my God. Dude, I saw... <laughs> I don't want to get into this. This is a good one I was going to say. I'll say it. I'll, not, off, not online. Not on, not on the mic. Uh, but... Uh, but yeah, so I do, I do worry that, you know, the FAA has total control over the, the airspace now, you know, modelers before the, before the last regulation, we were, you know, a, Wes, can you help me out here? Because I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm, I don't know. We were self-governed. Yeah, we were self-governed. We were, we were taking care of ourselves. Yep. I know, man. It, yep. <laughs> you know what? It's funny because I got off work. Yep. I left the office at eight thirty, and I got home by nine thirty, and I was in front of the mic at ten. So, yeah, I didn't have the time to make myself a toddy. See, I have a glass of scotch, and I've been home since five o'clock. This is why I left architecture, Frank. <sighs> <sighs> yes, I hate you now more than ever. <laughs> you go. You fix my email. Make my email. And I get so many uh, complaints from clients. You know. Yeah, we don't do that. Sorry. Teach me how to how to run a software to get rid of those, you know? So, but yeah, it's, it scares me. It scares me a lot, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm a hobbyist, you know, I, I do the podcast. I run, I, you know, I help run the hangout. You know, I also have a business in the hobby. So it's, it's affecting, you know, and it affects me in, in, in a lot of ways. So it scares me. So I hope that, that this is just maybe throwing shit up on the wall, see what sticks. And I think that's what I think what Wes you're trying to say. And I think, and it's, and there's, there's a lot of validity to yes, that, you know, there's yes. like, maybe they're making it extra yes. hard. So, you know, they'll let them keep something, but what will they let them keep? And will this be the, the final go around where they try to do something similar in three or four years where these companies have a lot more resources at their hands where they can say, yeah, we, we're going to buy this Senator and that Senator, you know, and politics suck. And, you know, so. Yeah. Once we get to a point where, um, what am I trying to say? the big money has done what they want to do. If you want to say it's Amazon or whatever, they get what they want and then we can be mitigated around that. I think that'll be a lot easier way, you know, even for us to go and say, see and avoid, right? I mean, if we go and see a drone coming, we'll go and get away from it. Or maybe uh, those drones could have some sort of a system that would be able to see our model, you know, to um, know that, hey, there's, you know, a model in this vicinity, I need to go around it or something. So I've heard off YouTube, the ones where they use use an app, and when you go, like, like I'm just talking about helicopters. Like, I fly at a club, you know, I, hypothetically, if my club is approved, I am covered for as long as I 
eat flan at my club. So for for just me myself. But then you know, there's a lot of there's a couple parks where I've seen kids fly their little parks flyer. You know, I'm like, man, these kids have that's a great activity to be doing. You know, in this age where all they want to do is play Fortnite and be YouTube makers. You know, so I think seeing them outside doing that, I think is great for them. So it just scares me and worries me for the future. And and I mean, because I, I think that Frank, that would be a very tenable solution. Unfortunately, it's not the path of least resistance that Amazon would like to take. The path of least resistance is we're the only ones in the air and they kind of have the money to back it up. And um, so, I mean, I mean I, again, I, I, I think all of us have taken turns in being doom and gloom here, but I guess to steer the conversation towards a maybe more positive light is there is there anything that you know we can do as the little people in this equation to make our voices known make our voices heard yeah i mean you know ama has gone and put out just countless uh i don't know what avenues that we can go and take to reach out to um we'll call them lawmakers to be able to say hey here's who i am here's what i do and i you know this doesn't work for me and here's why. And so AMA's even gone as far as, you know, having custom form letters that all you have to do is copy paste this in there and it takes 10 seconds. Or if you want to write some beautiful dissertation to them, uh, you're able to go and do that. So there's there's basically a, a, a something for everybody here on, on how they want to go and do it. So um, I would say that uh, it does not take much of a Google search to go and find uh, uh, AMA and their effort to, uh, you know, give or push back against this NPRM. And so, um, you know, from what, uh, from what, yeah. So I, I would just encourage people to go and reach out to their, you know, congressmen, senators, things like that and say, hey, you know, this is not something that's going to be good for, for me, you know, um, and, and tell your story. So, so on that note, um, I'd like to challenge everyone listening here, even those of you that are not in the United States, because we need your help. You can just pretend to be in the U.S. Um, so what I've told, what I've done is I've, I've actually told four or five of my really good friends um, who have, again, zero interest in helicopters to go and fill out a petition on my behalf and just sign their name because they know how much it means to me. Um, and I've explained what this regulation would do to the thing that I you know, love dearly. And they actually went out and filled out some forms on, on my behalf. So if everyone here listening can get maybe their best friend, their mother, their sibling to also just put out a quick blurb, take two seconds, um, we can multiply those efforts and uh, make that voice heard. I did, I did the same thing with my coworkers. So I got them to do it as well. Yeah, but, but here's another doom and gloom comment. <laughs> we were doing so good. Oh, damn it, Javier. All right, we're done. Thanks, guys. <laughs> 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 here, here I go again. Here I go again. So, um, according to the AMA podcast, uh, there's uh, twenty thousand members on AMA. Um, so, no, two hundred thousand members of AMA, um, and we have twelve thousand or so comments, uh, which means that the vast majority of 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 people that are passionate for this hobby, that you know, like this hobby, that have you know, um, gone through that ramp up that, that, that I talked about, um, don't care or think that, uh, you know, they still have time to do it or whatever. And that really, that, that also really annoys me. Um, I, I have a gut feeling that at least everyone listening to the Heli podcasts, 90% of the people have probably already entered at least one comment. 
Um, the, so my, my, I, I don't know how to reach out to, you know, to people to make them understand that, that we need, you know, as many, as, as many comments as possible. Um, because we, I mean, we may be small, but there's, there's a, a, a number that's not as small if we actually all grouped together. Um, so I don't know how to, how to get, you know, the word out to you know all the people that are re that you know that make up this massive membership you know if we had half of that you know we would have a lot more comments than we have today on on that proposal and probably at that point um you know someone would start listening i don't know um so um you know I, you know i i just wanted to throw that out because we you know it's good that we that we that we put it out to people outside of the hobby but uh, we also need to make sure that people inside the hobby also take note and take consideration that you know it's something important and uh, and you know it, there's there's a there's a there's a nice saying that I saw on one of the signatures of uh, one of my coworkers that probably these people think that you know it's not worth it because you know we're such a small number and why to do it. Um, one one cool uh, quote, and I don't know if he invented that or not, but he says that um, if you're if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. So um, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, um, we, we can actually make a difference if we all gang up and and do it. Uh, but uh, I I really don't know how to how to reach out to you know not just people outside the hobby, uh, but people inside the hobby that are deciding not to participate. I think there's a lot of people that are our AMA members that of this 200,000 that are, um, I don't know what the number is, but um, maybe not tech savvy enough for uh, the avenue that's been presented to them, uh, potentially. Uh, I think they have a lot of older members as well as a lot of the other hobbies uh, uh, do encompass, um, you know, maybe <laughs> we'll call them dirty old plankers, you know. <laughs> so if it's any if it's any indication, like the club that I'm a part of, I think I've mentioned it before, but I'm I'm the youngest member by almost 40 years, and I, I brought this up. We had a meeting on the um, on the sixth, and I brought the topic up, and not only had no one heard of it, after I explained it to them, they were also not concerned. So I, I think that's where you'll find Javier, the vast majority of your AMA members that are not participating. You know, there's, yeah, I agree 100%. You know, there's, I was going to say, the one thing that I will go and say is, is that, uh, you know, uh, should we maybe have some concern for uh, this stuff? Should we go and take it seriously? Absolutely. It doesn't go, there's no reason for us to not take this seriously and go and, uh, come up with a, a way to uh, retribute against it. But I will say on the other hand, I don't think, and I, I refuse to live my life like this or to, I do live my life like this, but um, I'm not gonna let it make me enjoy my hobby and what I like to do any less, you know? I have a brand new helicopter sitting here ready to be built that I just bought that's, I'm excited to go build and I'm gonna keep buying stuff. I'm gonna keep building helicopters and supporting the hobby. I'm not gonna go and uh, let, you know, the negativity get me down. And I, I would encourage everyone else to do the same. You're not gonna sell all your stuff? 
really? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're not going to sell it to me? <laughs> to me? Like, like really cheap? <laughs> I need a Diablo. <laughs> Everybody needs a Diablo. Yeah, no, I, I actually agree fully, fully with that, Wes. That's, that's a pretty good comment. Um, you know, I, 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 am, I, you know, I've been very doom and gloom, but yeah, it's, you know, it's just that we need to do it, right? I mean, we need to uh, get involved. We need to make our voice heard and we need to make sure that we put our little grain of salt or our, you know, 50 pounds of salt. I mean, whatever. So um, it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, uh, you know, someone, someone may know someone, uh, you know, someone, you know, like you said, may have a, a better way with words. Some may just copy paste. I mean, whatever, just get involved. And, uh, you know, I think that there's enough information to really think that this is important. This is something important that we should take ownership of and we should do. But you're right. You know, uh, my goblins, they're going to be flying next season. Hopefully they will not be crashing as much. And, uh, and I will be having fun with them for sure. And, of course, I will be there at Ircha and I will not be flying. You will <laughs> We're going to make sure that Wes, you know, you can only let Javier in if he agrees to fly yeah. Nitro. Like, I'll, I'll prepare a contract and everything. All right. We'll, we'll make it contractual. Oh, so he's that like, he's sounds out of it. good. We can, uh, there you go. There you go. And so, uh, you know, Javier, if you'd like it, you're welcome to, I'll set you up a buddy box. You can come fly my Diablo Nitro or my Black or whatever you want to go get a pull on. You're welcome to, to try any of them. So, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I'll I'll be I'll yeah. be I'll be just uh, just content to not be as uh, as overwhelmed with the event as I was last time. I think that'll that'll be that'll just be better. It was an awesome event, you know. Uh, you know, tr now turning it a little bit upside down, you know, inverted as we might say. Um, one of the of the of the cool, uh, you know, awesome things about Urcha uh, that I went last year. I mean. Um, it, it, there's, you know, as I said, you know, it was very overwhelming for me and I probably didn't enjoy it as much as I would have wanted to, but one awesome thing, uh, out of that was that, uh, King of the Midnight Sun competition. And, uh, you know, I, um, my, uh, you know, I, I have a, a wife and two kids and, uh, one of the kids and my wife wanted to go back to the, to the hotel and rest. So, uh, we drove them and then I drove back with, with my older son who, you know, really, you know, he, he, and I've said that before, you know, he plays a cello and he's an athlete, you know, he really could care less about, you know, RC helicopters. I tried to get him in, but, you know, I'm fine with him not, you know, just playing video games, you know, he's doing other stuff. So, um, yeah, so, uh, so I, but, but, you know, I took him uh, to the, to the king of a, of a midnight sun competition and he absolutely loved seeing, you know, Camp Noise light. I mean, he, he was amazed at that. He was, you, you know, really, really pumped to see that. So that was, that was a pretty good thing. I, um, that's a really good memory I have uh, about, about Urcha. You know, it's, it's something that, uh, it, it's just, just fun. You know, it's just fun. It's just something impressive when, when you see someone with that amount of talent, uh, moving that machines, uh, to the extent of the capabilities that they're, that they're able to, I mean, it's just amazing. So, um, that was that was a good one. Uh, that was that was definitely my favorite competition. You know, everyone seems to, to to go there, throw down, you know, the hardest they can because they know that it's the last event uh, of of the event yep. of the whole it's air the, uh, the night, the right? So the the yep. next day, most of them 
pack and go home. So why not? If they're going to crash, you know, that's the best time to do it. So uh, they just push it. <laughs> so it's amazing. It's, it's a really nice yeah. event. Yeah. I, w I would encourage uh, other people that if they're interested that, uh, you know, um, an another time that there is a lot of flying that goes on is, is also on Sunday. And so after the after Urcha on Sunday morning, uh, there's still usually quite a few people that do come out and fly. Now, we're taking everything down, tearing everything apart. Um, but, uh, you know, that's a great time to come out and get to fly without the hustle and bustle of, of everything going on. Um, the earlier days, Wednesday, Thursday, even Tuesday, those are good days to come out and fly if you're wanting to fly and, and uh, you know, maybe not feel so cramped. And so uh, if, you're, if you're there that early, then uh, I would uh, encourage you to do that. But, um, you know, it's, as, as you said, Javier, it, it's something that you come and experience and, you know, you're excited to come do it and everything. And, and then you get there and you're like, I don't know what I want to do. You know, there's so much to see and so much to that you want to do that you feel like you can't see it all. It's like going to Disneyland, Disney World. You know, you can't just make spend four days at Disney World and say I saw all of Disney World. No, you didn't. You know, so yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. All right. So you see, I I could I could invert the the doom and gloom. See 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 what I did there. See what I did there. <laughs> you saved yourself at yeah. the last second. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, um, Wes, th man, thank you so much for coming on. Um, this is a, this is a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking with you. I know all of us did. Um, and I think I uh, will see you at Urcha this year. So look forward to meeting you in person. So Wes, I got to talk, and, I gotta um, talk I think... to these guys about it, but we like to, like, hopefully, you know, I'm going to pitch it right now. So hopefully I, I can get them on the spot so they can agree right now. Is we, we get you to do an episode right before Urcha with the entire Urcha board together yeah. so Ooh. you know kind of get I like the sound of kind that. of like a preemptive of what's going on you know and yeah kind of get everybody juiced up on the event we can uh yeah we can definitely try to uh i can do my best to try and do that we're usually able to accommodate going and doing that kind of stuff it's usually not too hard to get us all together uh for a, a call for something like that but um yeah we're, we're we'll definitely uh make some time to to do that so and that'd be fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Frank, you've just earned your paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> we get paid around here? So, yeah. Right. No. No, you don't. <laughs> you you can you can picture it in your mind at least. Yeah, Javier, I'll expect more money from you then. All right, guys. Well, I think that's gonna do it for us tonight. Um again, Wes, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us. Um I, this is a huge very important issue, and I hope everyone that's listening. Um, we'll go out and make everyone that they know very uncomfortable if they have not signed this <laughs> petition. Well, it's not a petition, but uh, you know what I mean. So um, we will be back next week. And um, again, this has been a special announcement from Skids Up, RC Heli Podcast. Thank you very much. And we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>